0: the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded and if any and if in anything be otherwise minded God shall reveal even this unto you so verse 14 says I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus and so we talked about that last week pressing for the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ what is the high call? Paul what are you after? what it is that you want to win? what is the high call? the high call for each believer's life God's standard so to speak is the life of Christ being fully expressed through you It it is Christ himself and his life having full expression through you and you and I coming to the to full maturity Ephesians 4 verse 13 talks about coming to the full measure of the stature of Christ amen so that high call is Christ himself it is, it is him his life in full manifestation and what is the mark how do we get there how do we know when we are there well the mark is being possessed by God, where you know the Bible says we are bought with a price, we belong to Him, we've been ransomed by the blood of Jesus, and it also says in First Thessalonians five twenty three, I pray God that your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord. In other words, then God is in other words then God is saying. His desire is to get a hold of us so that we are so totally consumed by him and that we are so much his, even to the point where every thought is brought into the captivity to the mind of Christ. So Paul says, I'm pressing for that mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ. Now what is the price? The price is us fully possessing the Holy Spirit, his power his glory in Ephesians 3 19 it puts it this way that we might be filled with all the fullness of God what would that be like God having full possession of us us having full possession of him and Christ himself the very standard the very the the very essence of God emanating through us and, and so dominant think about it you know it says in John chapter 4 3 and verse 34 How that Jesus had the Holy Ghost without measure. There was no limitation as to the magnitude and the depth and the dimensions of the Holy Spirit that he operated in. Can you imagine us coming to such a place of the fullness of God that the Holy Spirit can so freely flow through us so that that we don't have those human limitations that come from our lack of knowledge, etc., etc.? So we're pressing for that mark. Amen? All right. Now, the only way that we can we cannot get there on our own. We don't know how to do that. It is the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit that can get this done. The Bible says in Hosea Zechariah 4 and verse 6 it's not by my might nor by my power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. It is by his spirit, it's by the spirit of grace that it is done. Second Corinthians three seventeen and 18 says, where the spirit of the Lord is. Where the spirit has lordship, that's where there is liberty. That is where you're going to come into that place where we don't have these limitations. And then it says, we are transformed and changed from glory to glory by that very same spirit. As we behold him. Amen? So it's the Holy Spirit himself that has to bring forth, that bring us to this place wherein we are taking a hold of that price, where we have come to this place of the, the fullness of the Spirit of God, etc., etc. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do that on our own. The Bible says he has begun a good work. He is the one who will finish it. Amen? All right. In fact, going back to 2 Corinthians 5, 23, that we would be a sanctified holy, our whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless to the coming of the Lord. Verse 24 says He is faithful to do it. So who has to do it? It's the Holy Spirit. It is He that is at work within you and within me both to will and to do the pleasure of the Lord. Alright, so um, You know, we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me put the baptism of the Holy Spirit in a slightly different light. Because many times we think of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we think about speaking in tongues, which is the evidence of it. But really, what was the whole purpose? It is like this. God so loved the world that he gave what? Jesus. Amen? Whoever believes in him have everlasting life. When you get born again, you get a hold of Jesus. You get a hold of God, so to speak. But when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says this, um, this is the promise for all them that believe in Jesus. Everyone that asked receive. And he was talking to his children. So being born again is you getting a hold of God. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit ought to be God getting a hold of us. God getting a hold of you. What for? By that very process of baptism, the Holy Spirit, his whole purpose is he wants you to immerse you and tie-dye you with Jesus' death. He also wants to immerse you and tie-dye you with Jesus' life. He also wants his power to be made manifest through you. So the whole baptism of the Holy Spirit is to bring us into this place where we are so hid in Christ, so hid in God, so one with him, so infused with his life, so so much that, that we cease to exist, that all life ceases to exist and it is the life of Christ that prevails. It is God possessing us that dominates us. Are you with me? So ultimately, that is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Now, um, if that's gonna happen and it needs to, there is a participation that the Holy Spirit needs from us. We sang about some of it today. The hunger and the thirst and the surrender. There's a participation that he requires and a cooperation from us. For us to yield to him. It says in um, Philippians 2 verse 12. Paul says, as you have obeyed, not just in my presence, but much more in my absence. Obeyed. Say obeyed. He says work out. Work out draw out your salvation with fear and trembling on the inside of you and I we've got the Holy Ghost we've got the kingdom of God we're blessed with every spiritual blessing the love of God is in there the joy of the Lord is in there the patience of God is in there but he says draw it out work it out with fear and trembling and then the next verse says in verse 13 that the Holy Spirit is at work within you and I to will and to do God's pleasure so this, this drawing out this Our part, this drawing out of this life and this power and this salvation, bringing it out. What what does that take? It takes what we talked about last week, yielding, surrender, hunger, thirst, desire, etc. I I heard this song today and and, and as I was hearing it, I thought this song in some ways capture the attitude that we need to have. As in cooperating with the Holy Spirit. In other words, you know, in, in, in Revelation, it's talking about returning to your first love. It is so wonderful. God desire He loves us. But does He not desire for us to desire Him as He desires us? It says, as the deep panted for the water, so my soul longs after thee. You alone are my heart's desire. And I long to worship you. I long to honor you. I long to exalt and to magnify you. You alone are my strength and my shield. You alone to you alone will my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. You are my friend, you are my brother, even though you're my king. I love you more than any more than any other. I love you more than anything. I want you more than gold or silver. you are my gold, you are my silver only you can satisfy you alone are the are the real joy giver and the apple of my eye it's one thing to say god is that we are the apple of his eye but how about him being the apple of our eye and i believe that that song captures some of that attitude that god is desiring of us that the holy spirit is desiring of us now that attitude will also have to have some corresponding action but there is a cooperation, there is a, there's a hunger, there is a desire, there is a zeal, there is a passion that we must have for his presence. And, and today as we're going to talk about how to get there, as we're going to talk about what kind of practices are we to have to be able to develop in him and to be able to um, to live in this place where he's raised us up to in Christ. And as we talk about that, it's, so these, some of these very attitudes, we may not, in our natural mind or in our our soul, have those attitudes, but we got to pray ourselves into it. Amen? It's like you got to talk yourself into it. Because the whole thing is, we need to come to this place, like as Paul said in this passage, that I might be found where? In Him. Not having my own righteousness. I must be lost in Him, but having the righteousness which is of God by faith. What is the end point? Where are we going? What is it all about? The end point is, Galatians 2.20, that it is no longer you that live, but it is what? It is Christ that liveth in you. So that the life you now live, you live by the faith of the Son of God. In other words then, the end point is that Galatians is 2.20 not, is not just a description of what has happened in, the, in our being baptized into Christ, but rather it must also become our testimony. It is the truth that exists within our spirit. All right. If we can examine our spirit underneath a, a spiritual microscope, what will we find? We will find that we will find that we were crucified in Christ. We will find that in our spirit we are we are dead to the world and we are we are crucified to various things. Amen. And in our spirit, we will also find that it's not us, but it's Christ that lives in us. We'll record, We'll come to see the life that we now live is the life of Christ. But that must become our experience in our soul, in our everyday life that is no longer us, but it's Christ that lives in us. It is that end point. It is That's what we're working out. That is what needs to become a reality. John said in John chapter 3 and verse 30, I must decrease, but he must increase. We must decrease, but he must increase. In, in Matthew chapter 16, you know the story when when um, Jesus had, had, was speaking to the disciples and he said to them, "Who do men say that I am?" And some of them says, "Oh, you are a good man," Others say, "You are you are a um, you are a, a messenger of God." Or some of them said, "You are you you're, you you like one of the prophets and etc. etc." And then Jesus said, "But who do you say that I am?" And Peter spoke up and Peter says, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God," amen. And Jesus got very excited about that. Jesus says. He's got it. He just heard from heaven. He says, Peter, you flesh and blood didn't reveal this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. So Peter, first of all, there was what man had to say, but then there was what God said that Peter had heard from. They had heard from man. Man thinks he, that Jesus is a good guy, etc. But then they heard from God. That... that, that um, that he was, this, he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, that's it. That's what I want. And so Jesus says, Peter, upon this walk, I'm going to build a church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to release the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, etc. Amen and then he, and then he began to tell them in Matthew chapter 16 that he was gonna to go to the cross that he was gonna die and these things that were gonna happen and then it says in, in in Matthew 16 verse 22 then Peter took him he took Jesus that's God he grabbed a hold of Jesus and he began to rebuke Jesus saying be it far from thee Lord this shall not be unto thee you're not going to no cross now Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, was Peter Satan? Obviously not. But he says, Get thee behind me, Satan. What was he, who, who was he speaking to? Who was he, he said, Get thee behind me, who? Satan. So who was he speaking to? According to that verse, he's actually speaking to Satan. Yet we know he was addressing Peter. W- what was really going on? He was speaking to that spirit that is from Satan himself, not some devil or demon he was speaking to that spirit that was from Satan himself that Peter was yielding to and was listening to so he says get thee behind me Satan you are an offense to me Satan you are an offense to me so in other words Peter was receiving a spirit of offense from Satan and then Jesus is going to say you are an offense to me for you us not the things that be of God but those things that be of men now Peter had yielded to that and because he had yielded to that he was not concerned about what the will of God is in this he was not concerned about God's priority he was concerned about his own situation he was concerned about, um, uh, he was concerned about the things of men like what's gonna happen if you not hear Jesus I mean who's gonna raise my mo- who's gonna drive that fever off of my mother-in-law when she gets sick? Amen? Who's going to feed these people when, when they come and they're hungry? Who's going to turn the loaves into fishes? So Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan, because you're an offense to me. Now, I, I don't want to get off on, on, on the spirit of offense, but the spirit of offense has a way of turning us into a selfish motivation. And what happened? And it will cause us to be defensive, etc., etc. But now look at what Jesus was saying here. Jesus immediately, now what had happened before I even go there? First, here it was man speaking, one level of revelation. Man saying, you, um, you know, you're a good man, you're a prophet, etc, etc. Then there was the Spirit of God saying, you are the Christ, the Son, of the living God. But then here was a third voice, which was the voice of the enemy. Amen? Amen, that, that was designed to turn man into a selfish motivation. So, so Jesus put a stop to it. In fact, let me just get off track just a little bit. <laughs> there was a very good reason why, you know, it says in, 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 in uh, on the account of Jesus' crucifixion and, and the whole trial and so on, and it is repeated again in Peter. The bearer says that he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and he opened up his mouth. Have you ever heard that? And he never defended himself. He could have made a case for himself and said, these things that they're accusing me of, I'm not guilty of. Right? but he never defended himself why did he not defend himself if Jesus were to defend himself he would have, he him, he would have been yielding to that spirit of offense amen and by so doing he would have disqualified himself from being the Lamb of God without spot or without blemish did you get that amen so you got to understand, so Jesus had a violent opposition to that spirit of offense. Which when he went to the cross and, he, and the sacrifice was made and he died and he was raised up and we were crucified with him, it part of that was so that in being crucified with him, that spirit of offense might come to an end. Amen? And it is, has come to an end within our spirits. That is why the Bible tells us about being crucified with Christ. Now in this next verse, immediately after Jesus says, You are an offense unto me, for you save not the things of God, but the things that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man come after me, let him what? Deny himself, take up his cross, take up his cross, go to the cross, crucified, resurrected, and follow me. For whosoever, and this, and he's amplifying on that statement, he says, for whosoever will save his life, shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. What is the point? The point is the end point of this whole pressing for this mark, this prize and so on. The end point coming to this place where it's no longer I but it's Christ that lived in me. This is just another way. I must decrease, he must increase. This is another way of putting the same thing where you're losing the natural life. I'm going to say, I'm not talking about breeding. But I'm talking about that self-mode, that life where we're just living for ourselves. And what do we do? And we begin to live totally for Him, and He and He literally consumes us. In Second Corinthians chapter five, verse sixteen, it says, "So that they which live, that's united, are born again, should no longer live for themselves, but unto Him that died and rose again." Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So this, this, this that we are called into this—the whole objective of this whole thing—is to bring us to this place where we are. Totally abiding in Him, Amen. In John chapter fifteen, verse five, Jesus put it this way: He says, "I am the Vine; you are the what? Branches. He that abideth in Me, and I in Him, bringeth forth what? Much fruit. Amen. Abiding. And then Psalm thirty-seven, verse four, calls it: "Delight yourself in the Lord." Say, "In the Lord." So we're we talking about in the Lord abiding in Him. Your life is hid with Christ, in God, it's no longer you that live, but it's Christ that lives in you, laying down the low life, taking up the higher life, which is the life of Christ. Amen? And where are you right now? Where are us as believers? When you're born again, the Bible says you were raised up together with Christ and you were made to sit together with Him where? In heavenly places. So we are in a place of ascension as a result of crucifixion and resurrection. Here we are seated at the Father's right hand in Christ and the life you now have is the life of Christ. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and verse let us read verse 24 and 25. 24 says they are that are Christ, and others they that belong to Christ, they that are born again, they that have been ransomed, they have crucified the flesh with affections and the lust. Well again, if you look in your spirit, you will find that you will find um, that the, the inside your spirit is totally crucified to the flesh and the lust and thereof. And it says, But if, if we live in the spirit, if we live in the spirit, it says in Philippians three verse three, we are of the circumcision, not made with hands. And we worship God and we serve God how? In spirit. If you live in the spirit, if you've been born again, if you are seated at the Father's right hand in Christ, if Christ is now your life and if that's where you live, let us also walk in the spirit. That makes sense. Amen? We live here in Canada, this is where we walk. When you live in the spirit, walk in the spirit. Amen? Amen? All right. I believe that you and I can exercise there is there are practices we want to live there there are practices or exercises that we can go through spiritually speaking to the point so that we can live there to the point now this is gonna sound extreme but let me put it that way, and then we'll prove it out we can come you know how in a natural you can exercise to develop muscles by the way muscles don't come just just by the process of time <laughs> it comes by exercise it's called development. Amen? All right. Well, so it is spiritually. You know, in, in the natural, if you've had an accident or something like that, and then you've got to go through physiotherapy, what is it for? It is to build back those muscles, etc., etc., et cetera, et cetera and, and, and get you to the place where as if the accident never took place. Isn't that right? And that's just talking about physical exercise. Now, the Bible says, if bodily, if first... Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 and 8. If bodily exercise verse 8 is profitable, how much more will spiritual exercise be profitable? Amen? So is there a, are there any spiritual exercises that can cause us to be established in this place where we live? That can cause us to become developed and, and to, uh, on living in Him? In fact, From here on in the message, what it really is all about is how do we practice living in Christ. Amen. How do we practice it and become good at it and become so developed even to the point of what what it is that God is after. The very reason for which he apprehended us. Now, just to show you how far this could go. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. You need to see this. Hebrews chapter 5. Let me ask you something here is there anyone here should I ask you to raise your hand is there anyone here maybe answer it within yourself then that used to smoke and you don't smoke anymore all right fine do you have any desire to smoke do you feel pressure to them that I gotta have a cigarette <laughs> all right no uh, but you did used to all right what happened Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14 says strong meat belongs to them that are of full age those who by reason of use which is using it every time they had a reason amen (laughs) how many times do you get a reason to abide in Christ stay in Christ stay in love stay in faith don't yield to that how many times do you get an opportunity a reason to use your faith in that area would you say a few times a day maybe (laughs) well okay can you imagine if by reason of use, using it every time you had a reason, if by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now you know the word tells us that we are not to walk, we are to walk by faith, not by sight. We are not to walk by our senses, we are to walk by faith. Isn't that right? According to the word. This verse says that you can so develop spiritually. As you learn to be skillful in, in the word of righteousness, which verse 13 was talking about, as you become skillful in operating in this oneness that you have with God, in this authority that you have as a son of God, etc., that you can become so mature by reason of use, which is exercising, that it will come to the point where your senses can discern between good and evil. In the same way, you have come to the point where you had a problem with cigarettes, but it's no longer an issue. There are certain things, it's just not a concern anymore. Well, it's a saying that we can so exercise to get to such a place. Now, there's a verse of scripture we, we quite often quote in 2nd Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 5 is the one we quote primarily. Um, you know, verse 4 the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty true God to the pulling down of strongholds. How many have heard that verse? And then it says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Making every thought obey Christ. Amen. So that his thoughts become your thoughts. Now watch this. And having a readiness to to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. It is talking about coming to such a place. That their thoughts become so captured to the mind of Christ and you come to such a place that it's called your obedience is complete. It is fulfilled. Well, this is what I'm talking about. Are we going to get here in this life? I don't know. But we ought to be pressing for that mark. Amen? Maybe the last generation just before we are erupted, some of them might get there. But why not you? Why not me? We might be the last generation. You don't know that. Amen? Amen? Jesus might come next week. (laughs) Amen. Praise the Lord. Lord. (laughs) You ready to go? (laughs) All right. So how can we practice living in Christ? How can we practice this? As I said, First Timothy, oh, let me quote this verse of scripture. First Timothy four verse seven says, Exercise yourself unto godliness. And that word godliness means the manifestation of the God life. Amen. In other words, exercise yourself to the end point that the life of God will be made manifest. Now, and that's what we want to talk about. How can we do that? In, in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, it says, In him we live and move and have our being. In him we live and move and have our being. In other words, we want to come to a place where we are operating in him, from Him when we speak, whether it be to the mountain, to the fig tree, to the headache, to the storm, we are speaking from in Him. We are speaking from in Him. When we pray, we pray from in Him. We don't pray out there in the realm of unbelief. We pray from who we are in Christ. We pray where He is our Father. We pray from in Him. We rejoice, we give thanks. Come on, you know, how can you, you know it says, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. Can you give, I mean your thanksgiving is not based on the circumstances. How can you come get all joy except from in Him? Amen? If we look at the things that are seen, what happens? It will, it will just infiltrate our mind and our thinking with doubt and will cause us to waver. So He says don't look there, but rejoice in the Lord. Look, look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Look at the things not seen. What am I saying? We have to learn how to function and exercise ourselves to function from where we are in Christ. Whether we be praying, whether we be speaking, whether we we are rejoicing, etc., etc. Hallelujah. Move by compassion. Hallelujah. Living and walking in the spirit. Jesus says, for such is what the father seeks. The father seeks such to worship him. That will worship him how? In spirit and in truth. You know, this is not a nice, well, it's in the word, I think it's Second Corinthians chapter 5, that more or less says, those things that are done, motive is wrong, etc., etc., and they're not done in Christ, those works, when, when we come before the throne of God to be rewarded for the things done while we were living in this body, that was for his glory and honor, things that were done with the wrong motive that were outside of him, the Bible says it gets burned up, does it not? And it becomes wood and hay and stubble. But whatever we do, that is why it says whatever we do, do it as unto the Lord. Do it from our heart. Function from where we are in Christ. Living and walking and and operating in the Spirit. This is what the Father desires. They that will worship Him and serve Him in Spirit and according to truth. Amen. And what is truth? Truth is what Jesus has finished. So, You know, the the Bible has different ways of putting things. It says, talks in walking in the newness of life, living in the reality of resurrection as if you've been raised up from the dead. Exercising yourself. Exercising yourself. Practicing. Living in Christ. How do we do it? How do we do that? I believe Titus 1 verse 1 answers that. Really very, very simply.